If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Romans chapter 8. And the texts, all of them, will be appearing on the screen behind me right now. Um, And so even if you don't have a Bible, you will still be able to follow along. So for those of you who are new or haven't been here for a while, this is what's going on. We are a church that likes to do and mostly does what's called expository preaching. And all that means is we like to go through books of the Bible, verse by verse by verse, chapter by chapter by chapter, until the entire book is finished. Now, why would we do that? We would do that because we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. It is special revelation. It is a gift of God, what he would want his creatures to know. And so there are hard things in the Bible. If you've ever read it cover to cover, you know there are very hard things in the Bible. And so what might be tempting for pastors and preachers to do is kind of skip those hard parts. Like, yeah, we'll just skip that whole chapter. Not if you're doing expositional preaching through the whole Bible. You are forced to deal with every verse, even the very difficult ones. And so Romans is probably one of the hardest books in the Bible, especially when we get into chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, which is coming in about two months. But uh, now you get a, a beautiful, glorious passage tonight, okay? So fear not. This is a good passage. This is one that should leave you feeling inspired and uplifted. Uh, this is Romans eight nineteen to 25. So if you want kind of the more challenging text, come back. Just keep coming back and you'll, you'll hear what I'm talking about, okay? So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, 19 to 25. Uh, last week, we spent an entire message on one verse, Romans 8, 18. Uh, I do not consider uh, the, the present sufferings worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, the basic paraphrase. And so now we will dig into the very next verse and we will go all the way to chapter 25. I'm going to read it in whole. And then we'll start breaking it down verse by verse. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. May God help us as we dig into his word. Now, for just a little bit of context, This is the verse that came just before. Um, That should say 8.18, not 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Now, if you want to hear an entire message on this text, I would encourage you to go onto eternalcity.org and you can listen to the message that Pete preached so well last week. But what's happening here is Paul is saying, look, you are going to experience suffering as a human being. Uh, As Bob Kellerman says, we live in a fallen world and the world falls on us. We sin and then we receive consequences from our sin. We get sinned against by other people and so we are victims. All kinds of bodily pains and mental disorders and suffering. You know, I could go on and on just naming sufferings. But you all have experienced suffering so you know what it is experientially. Paul has the audacity to say, listen, your suffering is not even worth comparing to something that is to come. Now, that might be very offensive for those of us who have suffered and suffered greatly. We're like, how dare you minimize what I've gone through? And I understand that. I do. If that's the sentiment you get when you read this text, I, I understand that. But that's not what Paul's trying to do. He's not trying to minimize your suffering. He's trying to get you to look beyond the now to a future reality that is so weighty that when you put your suffering on the scale with the glory that's coming, your suffering disappears as if it was coffee vapor in the morning when it's cold outside. It's just gone. And so now what Paul's going to begin to do with verse 19 through the rest of chapter 8 is kind of unpack the glory. He's going to show us little bits and pieces, little previews of what kind of glory awaits the children of God. And so again, not trying to minimize suffering, but rather trying to compare suffering with future glory. And this is where our imaginations are allowed to play. We do not have great preciseness when it comes to what the future holds for Christians. But what we do know is it's going to be glory. The Old Testament word for glory means weight, weightiness, heaviness. Uh, What we are headed for is weightiness. Glory, new heavens, new earth, resurrected bodies. Okay, so let's start with verse 19. Remember, not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing. That means great anticipation. Now, what is the creation? The creation is rivers, trees, squirrels, Beavers, peacocks, mountains, clouds, the moon, the sun, the Milky Way, and all that is in it, including you. Creation itself. When God said, let there be, and we have Genesis chapters 1 and 2, all included in there is the creation. And what Paul is saying is the creation has this desire, this eager longing for something, this anticipation. I can't wait. The creation is saying, for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. Now, what this phrase, sons of God, means is children of God. 
And the reason it says sons instead of sons and daughters is because in the first century when this was written, especially in Roman culture uh, and in Jewish culture, sons received the most of the inheritance and the firstborn especially received the largest portion of the inheritance. Daughters here are also included in sons because they have equal inheritance share. That's what it means to be a son and daughter of God. We are equal under Jesus, bearing the image of God, united to Christ by grace through faith, and equally receiving the inheritance that is to come, the future glory. And so the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God or the children of God. Now, what that means is this. Friends, right now, we look like everybody else. You, if you lined up uh, a handful of people in this room and then a handful of people from your workplace or your neighborhood, uh, we would be pretty much indistinguishable from the outside looking in. However, what is promised of us is resurrection existence that we will not look like we look now. We will be full of life, free from pain, free from hurt, free from mental disorders. Uh, someone called the church, I don't even know the guy's name, someone called the church this week and, and was just yelling on the, on the machine. I mean, just screaming. I couldn't barely make out the words. And I heard amen at the end. So there's clearly something wrong. There's something's wrong with this gentleman who, who called the church. That calmed down in right thinking with a perfect body. Friends, I, if, if you focused right now, what part of your body hurts? Don't call it out. Because some of us would just keep naming things. What doesn't hurt, right? Friends, that is a temporary situation for you. Okay. I believe, now I'm a little more fantasy and, and sci-fi. I think we're actually going to have a glow to us in resurrection bodies. I think we're going to emit a bit of light. You know, I, I think that's a reality for us. Joni Erickson Tata one time, she's an a, a author, former swimmer, jumped into uh, shallow water, broke her neck at like 17. And she's been a quadriplegic ever since. She's written a ton of books, has a, a several ministries. Anyway, she had a dream one night where she recounts having a resurrected body. And she recounts swimming because she's a swimmer. And she says that the more she swam, the stronger her body got. Can you imagine that? Like, like taking off across Lake Erie, and when you get a quarter of the way out there, you're just like, I feel great. I feel like I could do the rest of this lake, no problem. Maybe. Maybe. And for those of us who are like, look, I don't go in water past what I can touch with my feet. You won't have a problem because all the fish are kind of resurrected as well, and they will not have any interest in harming you. And no more sea urchins or jellyfish or piranhas or none of that. Okay, no more venomous snakes. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So we, the creation itself is waiting for us to be revealed. Now, when you look out in a crowd, maybe you're at a Steeler game, maybe you're at a Pirate game, maybe you're at a concert, you look out among a crowd of people and everyone kind of looks like human beings. 
But if we could see who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we were able to get an instant flash into the future, we would see a difference. The Christians would stand out physically and visibly different. They would be revealed. But right now, friends, you can't tell. And right now, it's a future hope, which is what this text is about. This paragraph of Scripture is about future hope. We don't have it yet, which is why verse 25 says, we hope for what we do not see and we wait for it with patience. We're patiently waiting this. And this must be taken by faith. You say, prove to me that one day, if I trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, I'm going to get a resurrected body. I can't prove that to you. You must take the Bible at faith and trust that it is true. That's how this works. It's not blind faith. Okay? The Bible does give all kinds of evidences and there's confirmations of the truth that it displays. However, there is no proving in a court of law that we will get resurrection bodies. It's called faith. Okay? So we must take God's word as God's word and trust. That's really what faith is. It's to trust. What are we trusting? Trust has an object. It's not blind. Faith has an object. It's not random. It's not going out into the universe. It's landed specifically in the promises of God's word. And so it's not blind. You're, you're exercising faith in this specific promise of God here. Romans 8, 19 through 25. So you, you believe God has said this, it's recorded for my good, and I will trust this word from God for me. And when you exercise faith in God's word, guess what? God is glorified and you get the benefit. We are helped. We are strengthened. The Holy Spirit experientially will at times, not every time, say to you, this is true. And you are mine. That's next week's sermon. Okay, so come back. You want to hear that one. Trust me. For the creation, verse 20, was subjected to futility. That word futility means frustration. It means it doesn't work right. Now, one of the most frustrating things for me is when I have some kind of machine or some kind of device and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. How many of you have ever gone out to start your car for work and it don't start? Or just nothing. You're like, no, it's not supposed to do that. Or it clicks horribly. Or, you know, how many of you have ever tried to transfer something via Bluetooth into your little speaker and like all of a sudden you're, you're just punching the phone like, why won't you work? Meanwhile, you have your Bluetooth off. It's your fault, right? Like, oh, whoops, on. Oh, now it works. One of the most frustrating, what I love, that I'm such a simple person. I love when things do what they're supposed to do. Like when I put filter and coffee grinds and water and I hit start and I come back five, 10 minutes later and there's coffee there. I'm like, yes, it worked. Right? When I go airdrop a file to someone who's standing close to me in my iPhone and it works, I'm like, yes, I'm simple like that. I love it. But man, nothing frustrates me more when something is supposed to work and it doesn't. Anyone with me? Friends, that's the creation. The creation was subjected to frustration 
and futility. It's not working correctly. It's broken. Now, what does that mean practically? How many of you like mangoes? There's got to be some mango. All right. Yes, my people. Pineapples? Yes, excellent. Any tropical fruit, I'm in. Now, all that goodness, friends, is broken goodness. You realize that. As good as it is, it'll be better. As good as it is for it to be 90 degrees in July in Pittsburgh, and you to jump in cold swimming pool and enjoy that creation, that refreshing gift of God, that's broken. Laughter at a clean joke. (laughs) Like legit humor that God would be glorified by. It'll be better. Cool atmosphere, warm fire, feeling the warmth on your face and just feeling the coziness of that broken. You realize that? All the things that you enjoy in this world are broken. Now, what that means is it can only get better from here, friends. Some of you that like to cook, I I will come to your house, you know, new heavens, new earth, and I can't wait to taste what you can create then. Because I think we'll have all kind of new spices and all kind of new fruits and all kind of new technologies to cook with and whatnot. I'm an imaginative person, okay? The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, we know who subjected it, right? Who was it? It was God. God was the one that cursed the creation that he made and said before the curse, this is very good. God made it and it was excellent. He loved it. It was exactly what he wanted it to be. And like an artist who finishes either a, a musical piece or a painting, steps back and listens for that final time or looks at it when it's finally done and admires and enjoys, that's God on day seven saying, this is very good. And then sin happened. Our first parents ate from the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were told, do not eat this from. And everything got broken. How did it get broken? God broke it. Where do you see that? Genesis 3, 17 to 19. This is God's curse directed toward the man, Adam. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the fruit of which I commanded you. By the way, he's in trouble not for listening to his wife necessarily, but for eating the tree. Okay. So husbands, you should listen to your wives sometimes. Don't use this text out of context and be like, hey, you saw what happened to Adam. I'm going to listen to you. (laughs) Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, what did he do? She did offer him fruit and he listened to that voice, that offer. (laughs) And ate from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So the earth, the ground, cursed. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. And so here, this is shorthand for all of creation being cursed by God as a punishment for sin. So why do we have shark bites? Why do we have tornadoes? Why do we have monsoons and hurricanes and floods and earthquakes and forest fires? And we could keep going with the natural disasters. This text, it's a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. Who subjected the creation to futility? God. So the creation that God said was very good as a punishment, God said, now I'm going to subject this whole beautiful creation of mine that was really created for you, Adam and Eve. I'm going to subject it to frustration and futility as a punishment. And friends, we're still living in it. We're still living in it. I can only take my mountain bike out for a few hours before I just have to stop because I'm exhausted. You can only run so many miles before you have to stop, right? You can only go so long without eating food. We are very limited creatures, okay? And it's compounded by the curse. So again, Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It's not that the creation wanted this. It actually wants to be freed from the futility. But because of him who subjected it. Now we know it was God because that last word in 20, in hope. Now the in hope says that God did frustrate creation. He, in a sense, broke the whole universe on purpose. But he did it knowing that one day he would unbreak it. He would restore it. He would recreate it. He would regenerate it. He would fix it with us in it. And we ourselves fixed. Friends, can you imagine unbroken relationships? And I don't mean by that there was a dispute and an argument, and now I just don't talk to that person. I mean, the good relationships you have. You know they're broken, right? Why do you fight? Why do you argue? Why do you get frustrated at other people? Why do you get mad? Why do you have to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Over and over and over. Imagine a world where relationships are uncursed. Where marriages are unbroken. Now, some of you are saying, hey, I know my Bible. (laughs) Aren't we like the angels in heaven, neither married nor given in marriage? Yes. I'm just, this is the context on earth and I'm trying to help you to imagine a different reality. So no, I don't think we'll be married in heaven. I think, yes, you'll know your spouse who was your spouse on earth, but I think that this is a, an earthly, this world relationship that pictures Jesus in the church, Ephesians 5. And when we have the reality, we don't need the picture or the parable anymore. Close parenthesis on marriage and heaven. Okay. If you want to learn more about that, come talk to me. I'll hook you up. In hope, God did this in hope that one day he would unfrustrate the creation. Now, let's look at verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, you remember Romans 8.18. The glory that's coming for us is not worth comparing to to what? The suffering. 
Okay? And so here the creation is suffering as well, and it, like us, is longing to be freed from pain and suffering and disappointment and depression and death. The creation is along with us, waiting, longing. And notice the bondage, freedom. Bondage to corruption, freedom of the glory. Friends, where we're headed is glory. And and I, for one, am so looking forward to the glory of God. How many of you, so I'll tell you one quick story. An uncle of mine likes to go to national parks. How many of you like to go to national parks? There's some amazing scenery in creation that you can't like appreciate from pictures or screensavers or the little phone, you know, picture. You have to be there. And and my uncle uh, was telling me about Crater Lake. How many of you have ever seen Crater Lake? It's the deepest lake in the United States, the bluest water. Uh, it's It's a volcano that has caved in on itself and filled up with water. It's a national, you know, scene. Can't go swimming in it though. So he's, t- he's, tr- he's not a Christian, and he's trying to describe to me being there. And he's, and he's like, it, it creates this feeling, and, and I just, I feel like I'm different. And I'm like, you know what the Bible would call that? Glory. And he said, that's a good word for it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, looking out over the seemingly endless ocean, being at Crater Lake, looking in, diving into Caribbean clear water, you are swimming in glory, friends. Now, I'm not saying this unbiblically. Uh, Psalm 19 says this. It, it talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God and the skies proclaiming His handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and there's not a language on earth in which their voice is not heard. In the same way, God's creation here on earth reveals His glory. And that's just one aspect of his glory. One tiny piece. Scenery. Earth. And it's many forms. And so, it will be freed one day. And so, I'll tell you another quick story. I I did have the privilege to go to an island right above South America. It's called Aruba. It's a 19 by 6 mile island, a little tiny thing. Uh, And you can rent quads, four-wheelers, and you can drive them all around the island, even on the streets, and not get arrested. It's awesome. And and so I would, I bought a snorkel, and I just would just go out as, you know, as far as I wanted to. And I remember this coral reef, okay, and not only were there these super bright, colorful fish, but there was also these strange black balls that had these long spikes sticking out of them. You ever see one of those at the zoo in the aquarium? It's called a sea urchin, okay? And my thinking is if I would have touched one, I would have probably got paralyzed wherever I touched it. Okay? But I was appreciating it because not only was it black, but where the spikes would come out, there was this burgundy red that kind of glue, glue, glowed, shined. What's the word? It shined a bit. Shone. Thank you. It shone forth from out of the blackness, Okay. And, and I was just appreciating it, appreciating it. Now, what I didn't realize, I'm about three feet above it, and so I'm safely appreciating. Well, what I didn't realize was, was the tide can drop like that. And so all of a sudden, I am three feet to like 
like three inches away from this giant black spike ball. And I remember in the water just going like, it was like slow motion, like the matrix, you know, just trying not to get my face paralyzed. And so that was fun, but it would not have been fun if I'd have caught that sea urchin to the face, right? Now imagine a Caribbean minus the sea urchins. Okay. I, was, I went way out because I got brave. There was a, there was a large um, scuba diving boat out here. And so I was like, I'm going to go way out there where they are. And so I go way out. Okay. And there's this wall of fish. I mean, it, it literally looked like a wall. You could look along it and it just went like this. And so people were throwing their hands into it and the fish would go. You would go into it and it would just move for you. And when you came out, it would close back up. Hey, and so I'm just intrigued by the glory. I'm just, I'm so immersed in it. All of a sudden I look around and I'm like, where'd everybody else go? Oh my gosh. And so I look over and the last person is climbing up the ladder into the boat. And so I look back and the shore is way out there. And then all I could imagine was some giant massive fish eating dinner with this giant wall of fish. And here I am on the other end of it. Boom. And so I just, you know, I'm freaking out, adrenaline pumping and I, I made it. I'm here. I'm preaching. Okay? But that terror that struck me, friends, that is not going to be a future reality. So I know some of you won't even put your toes in the water. And, and I say, man, be a little brave. Okay? Get into the glory a little bit. But man, can you imagine swimming miles out into the ocean without fear? That's going to be a future reality, friends. Not being able to drown I do have weird dreams of being able to breathe underwater. I do. Okay? I can fly in my dreams too. It's pretty awesome. But can you imagine breathing underwater? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. See, what we have of future glory is so limited, I think on purpose, so that we can be imaginative. Imagine. Why do human beings want to fly? Maybe because we're supposed to. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Eddie's like, Superman, yes, finally. <laughs> this is excellent. Okay, now I'm running out of time. I have to move here. I'm sorry. So verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. The now is when this was written 2,000 years ago, okay, until now. So what happens when a woman is having labor pains? What does that mean? It's pain, but what does it mean? What does the pain mean? Delivery. It means a baby is about to be born into the world. Now listen, if the creation is having labor pains, what does that mean? A new creation is about to be born. And so what are the labor pains? It's the earthquakes. It's the shark bites. It's the drowning. It's, it's all the bad things that happen. It's when a tornado strikes Kentucky. That is the brokenness that will be no more. But it's also the childbirth pains. A new creation is coming in which tornadoes will be a thing of the past. This is the good news, friends. This is the glory that we are headed for. This is the glory that is not worth comparing to the present sufferings. And not only the creation, 
but we ourselves. All right, so before I jump to 23, because 23 is an important verse, let's talk real quick about 22. Let's just dig in for one second. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, some of you know 2 Peter, and you're familiar with this verse. I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. So Peter comes later. (laughs) In my notes, Peter's mixed up. So before we go to Peter, let me do this. Okay, Very quickly, Isaiah is sometimes called uh, the fifth gospel. And here's why. Because Jesus is so prevalent in Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 11 specifically, Jesus is clearly at the front end, but then it talks about when he comes to rule and reign on earth. Okay, so can we go there very quickly? Luke, you go with that? All right, let's do it. So Isaiah 11, one to three, this pictures Jesus. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was promised a throne that will never end. David, there will always be one who sits on your throne and there will be one whose kingdom shall never end. His name is Jesus. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Verse two, you see that capital S spirit? The ESV rightly translates the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, we often call Jesus, Jesus Christ, as if Christ was his last name. But you know that Christ means anointed one. It means Messiah. Who is the Christ? He is the one who is anointed with the Spirit without measure. No limit to the Spirit's movement in his life. Full access to all of the Spirit of God, himself being God incarnate. This is why Jesus could do what he did uniquely. Reading the minds of people, calling the future, healing uh, unhealable diseases, raising the dead, walking on water, casting out demons, because he had the Holy Spirit without measure. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will treat God the Father with utmost reverence and respect because he knows him intimately as one of the Trinity. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He is not partial. In fact, in John, it says that he would not entrust himself to men because he knew what was in man. He could see right through the facades, right through the flattery, right through the appearance of boldness and see the hearts of men. He didn't look on outward appearances, but he looked at the heart. Now, look at verse 4, immediately concluding this future Messiah. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. With righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. This is pointing to a future coming of Jesus. The first set of verses there, one to three, points to a humble and meek, gentle Jesus. This verse four here is talking about 
a vengeful Jesus, a revelation Jesus riding on a white horse with his robe dipped in blood coming to judge the earth. And when he comes to judge the earth, he will make all wrongs right and he will renew creation itself. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. If you were wondering, yes, that is where Paul got uh, the belt from. So here is Jesus coming back. And now look what happens when he comes back. Verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. See, this is the order of the current reverse. What happens if the wolf dwells with the lamb? No. No more lamb. It gyros. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Now look, leopards run and they run fast. Not as fast as goats. <laughs> and they're going to catch the goats and eat them. And so if they're lying down together, that means they're in peace and harmony. And so the leopard is lying down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, hanging out. And a little child shall lead them. I love that. Now the picture here is of a little child taking very dangerous animals, apex predators really, and just leading them along like pets. Now, I'll bet you wouldn't let your kid go out and play with a cow by themselves, but you're definitely not going to throw them into the wolf pen and say, go have fun. You're not going to let them pet the leopard like, you know, your kitty at home. It's not happening. But here, these are now harmless animals. This is what the return of Jesus for a second time is going to do to the animal kingdom. It's going to reverse it. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Now, lions aren't interested in straw right now. They're interested in gazelle and sometimes elephants and giraffe and you if you get too close. Hey, I was on an African safari. I was privileged to do that twice. And I had my phone out and there's a herd of giraffe and we had a tour guide in the, in, the, in the van. And so we were stopped and I was like, I'm going to hop out and get these, get these giraffe. And so I get out my phone, I'm walking up the hill and the guide's like, what are you doing? Get back in here. You see that tall grass? Okay. <laughs> so I roll back in there and then I thought about it for a second. How do I know what's in that grass? I could have been lying food easy. And so thankfully we got a guide because we thought about not getting one because it was expensive. So I'd have probably went way beyond the tall grass. I'd have been way out there like, this is awesome. In fact, I did do that. And another guard called me out. There was this elephant, huge tusks. And I was like, this is awesome. I felt like I was at the zoo. You know, you can go right up to them and get out my phone and, and the, hey, that's an African elephant. <laughs> In other words, what are you doing, man? And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I make my way back. Thankfully, God was merciful to me. Okay, but in a future reality, man, I can imagine hopping up on that elephant, taking it for a ride. You know, in India, they do that actually, but not without a lot of training and taming of that elephant. All right. So here we have a reverse of the animal kingdom. Now look at this. The nursing child, Emery, 
shall play over the hole of a cobra. Now, I've seen cobras caged in Africa, actually. And man, they are vicious. They're, they're just, you know, the hoods with those slitted eyes. And just every move you make, it follows. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. That's another venomous snake. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Did you know that we only have three venomous snakes here in Pennsylvania? That's one of them. What is it? It's a copperhead. I've seen one of these in person at Ohio Powell that was sunning itself on a rock. And yes, I wanted to get too close. And yes, my friends were like, you idiot. That is a venomous snake. Now, you can tell a poisonous snake actually because the eyes go up and down like that. And the non-venomous ones, it's round. And so the the three are the timber, timber rattlesnake, the copperhead, and the masuga. It's another North American rattlesnake. That's the only three in Pennsylvania. So you're you got good chances of going out in the woods hiking here, okay? But if you smell cucumbers, don't go check it out, okay? That's a copperhead nest. It smells like cucumbers. But imagine just allowing your children to go and play with these venomous snakes, cobras, adders, copperheads, rattlesnakes. Hey, where's the baby? Oh, he's got his hand halfway in the viper hole. Yeah, it's all right. So one more quick story. We're, we're not going to make it in 45 minutes, Jackie. I'm sorry. So what, one more quick story, okay? And I'm done with the stories. So the gentleman whose kind of makeshift zoo we were at in Africa, um, he caught all of the venomous snakes and the alligator and the monkeys and all the other things himself. And so we were pretty impressed by this guy. And he got bit by a cobra, okay? And we were like, Okay, tell us how this went down. And he said, well, what you have to do is you have to not panic. Because when you get bit by a venomous snake, when you panic, your blood starts to pump from your heart and it distributes the poison all over your body. So you have to stay as calm as possible and try to breathe as slow as possible so the venom basically stays localized. And then you have to have someone rush you to the hospital for anti-venom. And he survived and live to catch cobras another day. (laughs) So if you do get bit by a copperhead, remember the sermon, okay? If you remember nothing else, don't freak out when you get bit, all right? So here we have a picture of the creation being restored. Venomous snakes, no longer a problem. Wolf and lamb or goat lying down together, no problem. No more harmful animals. I would take that to the fish realm too. So you don't have to worry about being in the ocean any longer. And then um, we have the the Peter verse. Okay, so Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, the day of the Lord is what we saw in the second slide about Jesus coming to kill the wicked. Okay, that's called the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus comes in wrath, in vengeance, to make war on his enemies. It's the day when justice will finally be had. Now, our culture is obsessed with justice. We love justice. No one's going to like this day of justice. Unless you're safe in Christ and he already received justice on the cross on your behalf, no one's going to like this perfect justice. 
because it will be thought, word, deed, motive. And it's going to happen. And so this is the day of the Lord. It will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies You could translate that elements, the elements, the elements will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Some manuscripts say will be burned up. Some of your translations have will be burned up. Now, what Peter is not describing here is he's not describing the annihilation of the earth. He's describing the undoing of its currentness. It's current brokenness. Now, let me ask you a question. When God said, I will destroy the earth with a flood, did the the earth go away in Genesis 6? No, it did not. But it did get cleansed and it got reshaped. Probably the continents broke apart and many, many animals died and became extinct, including dinosaurs, sadly. But the, the deal here is that there's going to be a great cleansing of the earth. Now, we don't know what that's going to look like, but let me give you just something to think about. What is Hawaii made of? Yes, volcanic soil. Is it not one of the most lush places on the planet? What is the middle of the earth? Could it be that the inside of the earth comes out? burns everything up, and then a tropical paradise emerges from it, which we get to remake and reform and reshape like we were supposed to in the Garden of Eden, but failed. I don't know. It's just something to think about. Again, imagination. We can play with this verse. Okay? Maybe. But what's not going to happen here, Matt Chandler said, it's not that the Death Star is here and, you know, the rebels are coming in and just blow up the Death Star. That's not what's going to happen. But it will be remade in some way, shape, or form. It will not be annihilated and destroyed. Okay, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. So here you have the creation groaning with child pains. Remember that? Childbirth pains. Now we, the sons and daughters of God, are also groaning That's us. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We are also groaning. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are broken, and when we suffer, we groan inwardly. How many of you this last week did something like this? And so the groan came out. (laughs) But some of us, that, that is your whole day, is it not? Some of you, that's your whole week. And it's the frustration. It's the futility. It's the, why can't this just be right? It's the groaning for the future glory. You need to know what that is. And so when you feel this internal groaning, I want you to think future glory. This will not always be so. This will not always be the way it is. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it feels futile. Yes, it feels like I'm not accomplishing anything. Yes, it feels like everything and everyone is against me. That's the groaning. You are longing for the new heavens and the new earth. You are longing for a resurrection body. That's what's happening. And this is why Paul says, look, the current suffering, not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. 
Your unbroken body, if you could compare it to the sufferings of this current broken body, not worth comparing. It will be unbelievably perfect. My thought is, we'll all be young. We'll all be like 24, 25, because that's when we're pretty much peak growing. So can you imagine all of us looking strong and fit like we were, you know, on on a beach body video, all of us. (laughs) Like, man, look at you. To be like, dude, look at you. Bro, you've been working out. No, (laughs) I haven't. This is amazing. It's going to be awesome, okay? And not only the creation, but we. So we are groaning. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Now look at verse 24. For in this hope, we were saved. Okay, so our, our hope saves us. It, it saves us from current despair. It saves us from current uh, wallowing in the suffering. It saves us from this current brokenness. Hope. Hope looks future. Hope says it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to hurt like this. It's not always going to be this difficult. It's not always going to be painful like this. Faith and hope look forward. And again, the hope is not groundless. It's rooted in the word of God. The promise of the God of the creation is the one promising he will fix it, including us as his creation who are his sons and daughters. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for it, I'm sorry, for if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Now, I have other verses, but I'm out of time, so I'm going to skip here. Skip, okay? And I want to read you a song, just verse one and two of a song. How many of you have heard of Andrew Peterson? Not many of you. Put your hands up. Hi. Wow. Okay. You need to go on YouTube tonight and you, I'm serious about this. This is like your application right now. Okay. Go on YouTube, type in Andrew Peterson. And the song is, is he worthy? And I want you to watch the video and enjoy it. Okay. Listen to verse one and two. It's about Romans eight. It's about our text. And so the song is kind of like a catechism. It asks a question and then there's a response. It asks a question and there's a response. Maybe we'll sing it someday. Andrew writes, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? to take the seals and open the scroll. The lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died, ransom and slayed. I messed that up, but that's basically it. <laughs> so the idea here is Jesus is the one who is going to bring creation to fulfillment. 
Friends, we who know Christ, this is our future. He will do it. He will do it to us in resurrection, and he will do it to the creation itself as our environment and future home. Now, we sang a song last week called Cornerstone. And what is our hope? Remember the verse here, in this hope we are saved. Okay, look at the end of 24. For in this hope we were saved. Friends, the hope that saves us is Jesus himself. There is no other savior. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the one who lived perfectly in your place. He died on the cross, the death you should have died as a substitute, and God raised him from the dead. He is alive, and he is coming back to remake all things new. And Cornerstone says this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Friends, if you have any other hope of salvation and forgiveness of sins or future glory, you are going to be very disappointed in what you hoped in. But if your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness, you will be very glad in where you placed your hope. Jesus is our hope. And so my hope is that you are hoping in him alone for salvation and for future glory. Maybe tonight you want to do that. You want to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I want all that we talked about tonight. Friends, maybe tonight while we take communion, you can say, yes, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Help me to live for you. Come and make me your brother. Make me a son. Make me a daughter of God. Okay? And so we here at Eternal City Church, we celebrate communion every single week. And we do this because we believe that the cross is the center of all human history. We base our calendars on it. And so we want to remember what Jesus accomplished every single week here. Every single week. And so the communion elements are going to start coming around. Brett, you mind helping out tonight, brother? So Brett and Eddie are going to be bringing communion elements around. Here's my encouragement, friends. If you're a Christian, we would encourage you to celebrate communion with us tonight. It's a symbol of the body broken and bloodshed of Jesus. It's a symbol of what he accomplished, okay? If you are not a Christian, but yet you want to become a Christian tonight, you want to place your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you take communion for the first time tonight as a Christian. Take an act of faith and take communion tonight and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 